Welcome back to Sit Down Startup Podcast. I'm Pedro. And I'm Tara. We're back with a special bonus episode while we get ready to launch season two for you. This is a recording of our first ever live show. We thought that you might enjoy it. For the event, Pedro invited two SaaS leaders to sit down to chat and dive into the next growth trends in software that's taking over the world. The guests include Archana Agrawal, Chief Marketing Officer at Airtable, and JD Peterson, Chief Growth Officer at CultureAmp. To moderate our conversation, we have Elena Gomez, Zendesk CFO and our top podcast interviewer. Are you ready? Let's sit down and start up. Welcome everyone to a special episode of Sit Down Startup Podcast. I'm Pedro Miller, your host. Thanks for your support as we created the first season of our podcast. It was great to listen to fascinating stories of founders, CEOs, and makers in how they are navigating the changing tides of 2020. I am super excited to be back with season two in December. But in the meantime, we put together a special episode for you. Today, our guests will dive into how software is eating the world, or better, how software is empowering the world. The cloud industry is helping business from Silicon Valley to my hometown in Brazil. With a lot of us working from home, software became the new normal making it easy for companies to operate remotely. If you are in the cloud industry, you are familiar with the epic Cloud 100 list. In 2020, with a record high of 87 companies value at $1 billion or more, the Cloud 100 is bigger and better than ever before. Did you know that more than 75% of the list use Zendesk to help give their customers a great experience. To hear more from them, we have two special guests today. Arshana Agrawal, Chief Marketing Officer at Airtable. Before joining Airtable, Arshana served as the Head of Cloud and Enterprise Marketing at Atlassian, where she helped build and scale the analytics capabilities for the company online distribution model. Alongside her, we have J.D. Peterson, Chief Growth Officer at Culture Amp. Previously, J.D. served as a CMO at Trello and a marketing executive at Marketo and Zendesk. To facilitate the conversation, we will have Zendesk CFO, Elena Gomez. Are you ready to sit down and start up? Elena, take it from here. All right. Thanks, Pedro. That's uh, such a great intro. I don't know if I can be as like excited as you, but uh, but I am excited about having both Archana and JD uh, on the call today. Uh, there's so much uh, goodness from just conversation, and I know uh, I'm not feeling alone here because it's been a long, long year. Um, I'll just tell you, my, my kid got a recorder uh, yesterday and I was hearing that. I thought it was the neighbor, but it was my kid learning to play the recorder. So shelter in place is driving us all a little batty. Um, but anyway, as SaaS companies, all of us here have that in common and probably some of us are parents and some of us are doing all kinds of things in shelter in place. 
but a SaaS company is at our core. Uh, and it doesn't come without challenges that I know both uh, JD and Archana are living with and trying to navigate this uh, unique time, probably a time we'll all remember in our lifetime and our career. I, I can guarantee we'll all look back at 2020 and say, wow, that was a, a unique year. So I hope with uh, today's conversation, we can just hear more about how, how you guys are navigating uh, and just sit down and share some ideas with our audience. So uh, I'm gonna start with a really easy softball question. If you got, are you guys ready? We're ready, we're ready. All right, so uh, JD, why don't you start by introducing yourself, but also share your favorite coffee drink. Okay, all right, a softball. I'll make it a little bit of a curveball, though. Um, but yeah, my name is JD. I'm a longtime uh, kind of Silicon Valley, San Francisco, both resident and, and, and Silicon Valley operator. You know, Pedro listed some of the companies, uh, but I've uh, been, you know, working as an executive right now at a company called Culture Amp, uh, kind of in the HR tech space and helping companies with their, their people and culture. To answer the question though, my favorite coffee drink, my answer is I don't actually drink coffee. I'm one of these, uh, I'm one of the rare breed executives in Silicon Valley that actually doesn't drink coffee. And joining a company that's actually headquartered in Melbourne, Australia, this has become a big problem because I, I learned since joining that take like epic coffee mecca and <laughs> completely missing out and i get a lot of uh flack from my fellow employees uh so anyway yeah i usually go tea if i'm at the coffee shop more than coffee that's fair that's fair right on thanks jd archana tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and what's your favorite coffee drink Hi guys, um, it's great to be here. So yeah, I'm Archana. I am the currently the CMO at Airtable. It's a no-code, uh, no low-code app development uh, platform. Prior to this, as Pedro mentioned, uh, I was at Atlassian. I think of myself as uh, probably a recovering developer because that's uh, sort of the traditional education. That's where it took me. But then uh, after my uh, MBA, I tilted slightly into the world of analytics. Um, I I live in Los Altos Hills in California. Uh, my world revolves around a gem of a nine-year-old daughter. Uh, and my favorite uh, coffee drink uh, has to be a cappuccino with soy milk. I don't uh, partake uh, in it too much. And given JD's uh, disclosure, I will uh, I will refrain from uh, actually describing what a coffee addict I am. So, uh, but but a very good question for me. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we stay with you, Archana? I, I know that uh, all of all of us we talked a little bit before this call. Uh, it's a different time, and obviously agility and flexibility is so important right now. Uh, 2020 is a year of being agile. Tell me how you're handling that in your organization. Is that a core value for Airtable and, and just for how you operate generally? Yeah, absolutely. This is a this is a very meaningful question for for me, particularly honestly, because my first day at Airtable was the day Shelter in Place was announced uh, in California. So, I uh, it was a lot of new for me, a new company, a new product, a new team, uh, and a new environment in which I was trying to to learn all of this. Um, in some ways, in in some ways. Uh, given that everyone was going through this phase of learning how to onboard 
forward into a new way of working uh, made things easier. But undoubtedly, I know every company and, and every individual, quite frankly, has been rushed into this uh, way of thinking about how do we actually um, manage our, our companies, our growth, uh, and how do we continue to build great and productive workplaces um, that, that can accommodate what people need. Uh, so certainly of high value. Now, uh, coming from uh, Airtable, we clearly uh, love our product, but also it's uh, one of the uh, good things about it is it really helps manage this complexity or rather the evolving complexity really quickly. And so um, at once the company, I can't take credit for this only because, as I said, I, I kind of came the day we went shelter in place, but really quickly overnight the teams moved into using the product for things like the IT help desk and facilities and, you know, managing the inventory and getting people remotely onboarded. Uh, and, and actually it's so surprising to see the number of people. I'm sure this is true in uh, many organizations that have joined in almost a completely remote environment where you try to, uh, you know, build, build shared context and, uh, and build a common mission together uh, in this new, new place. Um, so all of this is, is certainly tools and processes, but I think the, uh, you, can't, you, you have to absolutely agree that culture plays a very big role in, in doing this and being able to do this and to, to have an environment where people uh, can, can actually thrive in the in sort of this changing and are open to adapting to the new that gets thrown our way every day is absolutely critical yeah no I, I can't couldn't agree more and uh, just speaking of culture um, given that there's a lot of a lot of folks are saying you know we will we will not go back to what we all knew uh, the world is going to be a different place so so JD I'd love to get your perspective you know how are you and your customers really investing in uh, you know, preserving the culture, the elements of the culture, um, obviously that you feel really proud of, but also then evolving just to meet the the new backdrop that we're in, uh, and also at the same time stay competitive. Yeah, totally. I'll, I'll, it's a it's a great question in so many ways that, that I can go with that. I, I would say maybe first from the lens of kind of because we're sort of in the space that culture and maybe some of the things we're seeing and our customers in the market broadly. I think one kind of right in the the, the, the wheelhouse, if you will, of what we do, we're seeing a real rise in people implementing a true strategy and culture of feedback. Um, we've seen a dramatic rise in the companies looking to do engagement surveys, looking to do wellness surveys, and just other sorts of surveying and listening and touching base with, with employees. And, and that alone is a lot because that's sort of like the first and critical step in, you know, in, in kind of staying in tune with your employees. But it's that strategy word I said before that I think we're seeing a real rise in is not just people kind of doing that listening, but really trying to lean into how do I take action on this though? When we're getting these signals from our employees, what can we actually do about it and, and do it fast, you know, in, in many cases. Um, so a lot of that sort of like follow-up we're seeing and, and people really leaning into kind of feedback strategy and, and action around that. DEI is the other one I'd have to call out. Um, just a dramatic rise. I think it's right in tune, fortunately or unfortunately, I guess, depending on how you look at it, it this, this rise is right in tune with the social, um, the lack of social justice and some of the unrest that we've seen around some of that, particularly here in the United States uh, over the past several months. Um, certainly correlating with that, but I, but I think a good thing and that companies are ultimately really trying to ask, ask themselves the hard questions around, you know, 
why aren't we a more diverse? How can we improve equity for our, all of our employees? How can we create that sense of inclusion and belonging for our employees? So really people looking for what can we do? How can we take action in this area? And then of course, remote work. I mean, you guys, you already hit on it. Uh, and I think remote work, maybe, maybe the, the thing I'll say, instead of any specific kind of tactical stuff around that, I think with remote work and culture, when you think about those things and to your point of how are people preserving culture or looking to improve it now that they might have shifted to remote, remote culture kind of took away the shortcuts is one way that I think about it and are having to remove to remote. Frankly, it exposed companies. It exposed your values, whether you like it or not, and, I, and not the things you may or may not write on the wall, but who you really are. Right. got exposed when when you know stuff hit the fan right and, right and that, that's when it really shows kind of who you are and what you care about uh internally so you know you can't just throw kombucha and ping pong tables when everybody's remote it really starts to shift to kind of almost like your first question what can you do to help employees collaborate be more adaptive be more flexible in their work arrangements um, and ultimately still have a way to connect with, with fellow employees. I think that's a really big thing too. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the, um, the backdrop has, has forced all of us as leaders and employees to pivot super quickly, both professionally and personally. Um, and it's really come bringing to the forefront lots of the values that we stand for and, and also some challenges about working with a distributed workforce and how you, how you make sure you preserve your culture, how you make sure you preserve employee engagement. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, it's very common. It sounds like that our companies are handling, handling this. Um, so I, I want to switch, switch gears a little bit. Um, you know, one of Bessemer's um, venture partner predictions uh, is that in the cloud industry is that B2B transactions are moving online. Um, and since none of us could make it in person, in any person sales in the last six months due to quarantine. Uh, what are your thoughts on this prediction? And, and I'll start with Archana and then come back to you, JD, on this. I'm just super curious, like what will, um, what will sales look like in the future and how will we continue to uh, continue success across the industry? So I think, um, quite frankly, I think the B2B buyer and the buyer experience has changed dramatically over the last decade, actually. You know, I, I know there's been a, a large shift over the last few months, but but in some ways we've been preparing for it unknowingly for a while. Right. Uh, but when you think about how you buy software or, or anything today, it's like go to Google, uh, do a search, uh, right. ask people you know, uh, experience what you want to or try it out, right? And that's, that's how people people buy software as well today. So when you uh, think about, it's almost like we have infinite supply on the web and we've, and, and there's uh, a democratization of the information about our own products and about our companies on, on the web. Uh, and really, when you think about the accessibility that a buyer has and the power, it certainly shifted that dynamic in terms of that. Now they go, they try the software, they validate it, and they can get a good sense of it. And so I think sales uh, processes in the B2B space have evolved to accommodate and to enhance, actually, that, that motion that has been happening for a long while. And in some ways, that maybe made going remote a little bit more manageable and navigable. Yes, so, I agree with that. But but having said that, it still takes me a little bit by surprise, and I'm quite remarkably so that how the sales teams, at least the ones that I know and I've, I've heard about these, have been so quick to adapt. And, and that also speaks to a lot of uh, the goodness that comes from this, right? They've been quick to adapt, and the receptivity from, from customers has been pretty strong to right. that environment. And so... Um, 
we can you kind of mention oh, we're not going to go back to the old normal i think i think this this time has certainly changed a lot for us but gives me a lot more conviction in in our ability to service our customers and in our ability to also adapt our own sales models to be able to be more collaborative in the buyer journey um almost uh, even given sort of the obstacles that might be uh, ahead of us uh, in in this environment yeah, no, I, I agree with a lot of that. And, and I'm also seeing, uh, agree, especially with the way the sales teams have pivoted and the ones I've seen and heard about. Um, and also just um, how more readily available our customers are in certain cases, you know, meetings that would have taken two, three months to get, you know, you might get it in two days, because guess what, we're all at home and have a little bit more time. Um, so I just found that interesting. JD, what would you add? Yeah, I, I, first of all, I would completely agree with Arshana's first point around the, this has been building for a while. And I, I'm going to get the exact stat wrong, but I, I saw something recently where I think of the like 25 most successful IPOs or the last 25 IPOs that reached some bar, barrier of success. I think 22 of them were product-led growth companies that had some form of kind of true online ability to sign up or purchase, you know, whether it's freemium or, or, or just a flat out online purchase type of type of mechanism. So I think, and, and companies like Arshana helped build at Atlassian and places like that have certainly been pioneering this low touch to no, to no touch kinds of sales models. And I think it's almost becoming a business imperative in SaaS to, to achieve the kind of efficient growth that, that markets are looking for and, and, and that we're looking for out of our businesses to have that sort of kind of online selling engine and almost that e-commerce style side of things. All that being said, I personally still believe there's always going to be a place for, to talk to a human and you need to have those ability. I think as you both talked about, it's been amazing. You know, I've seen it both on in my company and in being on the receiving end, uh, uh, you know, talking to vendors. Oh yeah, just how well people have adapted to these other services and, and to your point in many ways, being more productive by doing so. Uh, any any CFO will tell you they love a more productive uh, sales force. So uh, I'll, I'll make sure I share that with my uh, head of sales. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but anyway, uh, switching gears a little bit, but very related. Um, there's often the debate of, you know, who owns the customer experience. Uh, and I know obviously both of your companies are very customer focused and oriented. Uh, and then how do you organize around the customer? And I'll, I'll start uh, with Archana and then have you uh, chime in, J.D.? So who owns the customer experience? Um, in part because of sort of like what we just discussed, I'd say everybody, absolutely everybody in this model uh, owns the customer experience, all the teams involved. Uh, and then I think the question then becomes, then how do you actually organize for everybody to actually successfully own that customer experience? So one part of it in that case becomes uh, sort of how do you build the tools, the systems, the processes so that you get real insight from every customer touch point that can be actually packaged and funneled back to the teams that can then take uh, advantage of that knowledge, right? So I'm talking about all teams, whether it's customer-facing teams or support and uh, behavioral data, or even the data that you get elsewhere on the internet. How do you, how do you um, bring that all together? And I think that's where I'd say really the operational cadence of the company and how you 
you know, you, you kept keep these teams close together. Like how is the go-to-market team and your product team situation? What is the connective tissue between those teams in terms of sharing this kind of information? Uh, and that operating cadence, those processes and, and, and rituals that you have within your company really have a very high potential for bringing, you know, your customer experience ambitions to life um, and, and, and helping improving both the, the, product but the go-to-market motion and every other touch point that the customer has with your brand in a in a hugely significant way yeah super critical um definitely and and um i agree with you and in many ways like we all as as um evangelists of our own companies own the customer uh, but organizing around it is really important too and having some clarity around role and responsibility uh, also super important uh, JD, what would you add? Anything different, or anything that you would add? I would agree with I would agree with all that, and I, lo- I love the way she started that with the uh, kind of everybody owns it um, because I think I think having it built into your DNA is critical, and I think one of the ways that uh, you can achieve that is just in the language you use and in the way you prioritize talking about the customer at the front of. Uh, you know, your, your meetings, your presentations, your corporate communications, like all these different things. And, you know, an example, our, our go-to-market framework that we kind of rely on and build our strategy, you know, off really starts with knowing our customers. That's kind of like pillar number one. And every new hire in their, you know, one of their new hire kind of induction sessions, like we talk about that and we all talk about what it means to deeply and truly uh, know our customer. And then we, you know, we're, we're addicted to personas, right? And you'd think someone named McKenzie is our CEO, but it's really just the, you know, the persona for our core user, but we use it all the time. And we've just been very purposeful of embedding that sort of customer language and personas and those types of things into our DNA. The other thing I'll say, which coming off of something Archana said um, around connective tissue uh, operationally, We've very also very intentionally built things to try to break down the silos across and, and orient our teams and operations around the customer journey. So an example of that is very early on in the company, we built very intentionally a RevOps function as opposed to dropping like a sales ops person and a CS ops person here there. We built that sort of centralized RevOps to kind of sit across the entire customer journey. Um, just one example, where we've got, we do have a dedicated CX team too that a lot of what they do is connective tissue between product and the other forms of kind of traditional CS um, support and customer success. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it's important to find those areas where you can, you know, build those strong liaison roles and build those connective tissues to break down silos and that sort of thing. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, one other thing you mentioned, which I'll, I'll ask now, you know, our benchmark for startups, uh, we, we do a little uh, benchmarking every now and again, and 70% of our founders mentioned uh, not having a customer experience strategy early on. But when we looked into unicorns, 33% of them implement a customer experience platform within the first year of, of funding. Uh, and so uh, what's your advice for newer founders and how should they really be thinking about their customers? And Any advice? Uh, I'll start with you, Archana. We'll go to JD. Yeah, so I, I mean, just... I truly believe customer experience today is a key differentiator. So if you like take a step back and think about how easy it is today, truly, in, in some ways, comparatively at least, to build software. Uh, you know, it gets easier by the time. And as a result of that, there's 
proliferation of software, overlapping software, really. And as a marketer, I can certainly attest to the fact that that makes differentiation very, very critical to bring to the fore of any any buyer's journey, right? Customer experience in that in, in that lens and even more so becomes something that's much more readily demonstrable to the customer and becomes one of the competitive advantages that you can take uh, ahead with the company. So I think that it's absolutely critical. Um, and what alongside we talked about the buyer's experiences uh, and expectations changing around how software, it's certainly changed around customer experience as well. What people actually expect from the software and how they expect the brand to interact with them has changed significantly, whether it has to do with actual product experience or it has to do with the intelligence that they expect to see at the various touch points of the product, uh, the quick feedback loops, the timely feedback loops that they want. And so think about it really across all those dimensions, you know, whether it's the proactivity that they want to see, you need to be able to, a lot of what JD had said, whether it's in the processes that you try to to bring it to the fore for your own uh, employees so that they're able to connect with that data easily, but make it a pillar and make voice of the customer really prevalent throughout the organization. They're they're really good ways to do it with respect to, um, you know, digest that the the employee can read uh, lots of customer-facing conversations, obviously. But when you're thinking about building the customer experience, think about going to where the customer is, making yourself accessible where the customer needs to to see you at the right place at the right time with that service-oriented mindset. Uh, Listen and be able to to, uh, provide proactive service because that's how you from those learning loops and throughout the customer life cycle. It's not just in any one particular part of that phase, but but this is a long, hopefully a very, very long journey uh, of sort of the uh, customer and, and the company together. And, and so doing that at every phase of the life cycle becomes very important. Yeah, no, I 100% uh, agree with that. And I, I really like what you said about meeting the customer where they are, you know, our customers come to us from various channels uh, and and we we can't uh, decide that for them because they're going to come to us in the channel that makes sense for them and works for their workflows and so on. And so I think being present and available to them in the proper channel uh, and having sort of an omni-channel experience is so critical. Um, JD, how about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I would say advice in this realm, I'd probably say kind of three things. One, just be intentional. And I think as Arshana pointed out, like customer experience can be a competitive advantage, but be intentional about that. Is that what you're going after? Or are you just going after to maximize the cost side? I mean, there, there are great, big, successful companies who didn't prioritize that, but I think you need to be intentional and you need to be intentional about who your customer is. Is it an enterprise? Is it SMB? And what are their expectations going to be? So first, I'd say be intentional. Second, I would say don't be afraid to invest in technology. I think if you're scaling at any kind of growth pace, the right SaaS tool will pay for itself. Just trust us on that. (laughs) Or go talk to your vendor, and I'm sure they have an ROI calculator. Uh, Third, though, and maybe most important, I would say in creating a customer experience and in thinking about your customer experience, I believe it starts with your employees and your employee experience. And a lot of us have kind of, you know, bought into the mantra for a while that happy employees equals happy customers. 100%. Actually, I'm going to preview right here. I'm going to get Pedro really excited, but unbeknownst to probably everyone here, we're actually working on a partnership piece of content right now with you at Zendesk and us at CultureAmp. And I'm not going to reveal all the data, but let me just tell you, like we have proven that out. And in looking at it, not only 
are companies with higher engagement scores in their employees leading to have, having higher customer satisfaction scores. You can go down to the individual employee and those who solve issues faster, those who perform higher on just about any metric, it correlates right to their engagement uh, with their company and their employment there. Yeah, so I love that. focus on your employees, focus on your employees, 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 it'll translate into customers. Absolutely. I love that and totally believe that as well. Okay, I'm going to ask, ask my, my favorite question because I think leadership is so important. Um, so how have you changed or is there anything you've changed in your leadership in the course of this very crazy, unpredicted, who knows when it's over year? Uh, I'm curious, what, what, would, what have you changed? What is something that you would share with this team? Yeah, so uh, lots of things, I think, uh, because all the sort of normal mental models certainly got put to question, uh, I'd say. But perhaps the one thing I've prioritized only because I uh, and selfishly, maybe also because I feel like uh, I also need it is this idea of connectedness uh, with with uh, the employees. It feels like we're all trying to meet a lot of uh, expectations, uh, you know, build high performance teams. While everything around us is absolutely changing, whether you talk about our work, workplace changing or education or health or, or our communities, our environment, it's all all changing. And I think we need to sort of take a pause at that point in time, check in with each other, be much more intentional about communication um, and and much and spend a lot of effort in building the shared context. Now, you'd, you'd normally say, well, that's always been important. Uh, from a leadership uh, perspective, but truly it's something you get up every morning and actually think about how do I really make this happen? How can I prioritize this? And how can I ensure that we're all moving together and and being um, very um, uh, flexible with what people need at this time? Because I think that's what's going to give us the best uh, outcome uh, for everyone. Well, well said, well said. JD, close us out here. Uh, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll say two things quick. Uh, one, just more kind of from the tactical sense, I've just really tried to focus a lot more on doing more with less, which is another way of saying focus, prioritization. Um, I think, you know, being hit with the economic realities of, of the pandemic and, and kind of related concerns has certainly put a, a premium on efficiency. And so I've really tried to take a look at, you know, where can I trim certain things back? Where can we laze, you know, narrow our focus? Uh, those types of things. The, the second one I'll say is, you know, I, I mentioned DEI earlier, the, the diversity, equity, inclusion. And I think, you know, a lot of the events of this year have really made me take a hard look at myself and, and what I am doing, can do, and, and frankly, haven't done to improve things in our industry specifically. Um, I sometimes think tech and SaaS gets a, a bit of a bad name, maybe comp- comparatively, but, but the reality is we're not doing nearly enough. Uh, and we have a long, long way to go in these areas. And the reality is, you know, leading startups, leading SaaS companies, we need more people that look like the two of you, frankly, and less people that look like me. Um, and this is a big deal that I think my, myself and many, are, you know, are trying to educate ourselves and, and see what we can do to help shrink some of these pay gaps, to provide more opportunities for people of color and, and women. And I think this is a big thing that's really hit me in the face this year and, and, and what I can do about it. Love it. I love, I love that comment just in general. Like I, I, I'm all about diversity too. And, and we're spending a lot of time in lots of conversations with employees on this is so critical uh, for us as, as leaders to really champion that. So thanks JD for bringing that up. Uh, Pedro, I will turn it back over to you. 
Thank you, Elena. Thank you, JD, Arshana. It was a great conversation. I hope you have as much fun as I have on the other side here. Now we got three questions from people that uh, RSVP on the event before. So next time, sign up before and you have a chance to get your questions answered. Uh, we're going to start with a question for Chris Boyce. What is a growth experiment you've had the last success with? The last, the least success. The least success. success. Yes, not a great, not a growth, not a good experiment. So, so just uh, unfortunately, by definition, many growth experiments don't don't go the way of success. And so, there's a long, long laundry list here of things that uh, one might have deeply championed, only to fall completely flat. Uh, uh, so, uh, that that certainly, I, I think, I think that's generally tends to be true. Unfortunately, uh, but I think uh, one of I'll start. I'll phrase it in the form of a lesson, and and I can certainly get back to uh, the specifics of the experiment. But it's around, um, you, you know, believing so, some part we said, like, get people to experience your product and try your product. Uh, but it's got to be absolutely done in extremely meaningful ways. Uh, and so what, what seems otherwise very simple, like funnel improvements and get someone into your product really quickly and things, they need to have a, a lot of nurture and care and, and a good customer experience along the journey. Otherwise, you might find that you're optimizing for the wrong things or not learning uh, as much as you need. And so whenever you're thinking about success around growth exper experiments, the, the sort of learning I'll, I'll take uh, uh, out of this is like really be very specific about the metrics you're trying to move uh, because you certainly want to drive more than people just, uh, you know, having a superficial engagement with your product. That's not what you're trying to get. Uh, and so be very intentional about the metrics you're trying to move and, and almost like a craft, craft the journey to get to those uh, metrics. I also have a long career of failed <laughs> failed experiments, so uh, happy to dig into those uh, archives. Um, I'll throw one at you that's just a very, you know, very specific thing. Impl referrals, customer referral programs. Honestly, I have struggled to ever make those work. And I, I hope they're working nowadays at Zendesk. We didn't get them working back in 2012. Uh, and, and I have not got them to work anywhere. So anybody out there listening who's nailed how to get a customer referral program going, please send me your, your thoughts because that's one we've always struggled with. That's my plan, JD. We've been launching a customer referral program to get more people in the startup program. Maybe it took us a little bit of five years, but we're going to get there. A uh, good segue for the question from Gian Hunter. How do you keep your customers highly engaged? I'll, I can, I'll start on that one. Highly engaged. I mean, so, so many different things you could go on this. Um, one, I always like to kind of, I always have the mantra I like to think about that in our SaaS businesses, the, you should always have two offers or at least two offers. There's the product is always sort of one of those. Like it's this thing I'm offering. I have this service, you know, this piece of software I'm offering you. But what, what's the and? Product and blank, right? It could be community. It could be educational resources, thought leadership, right? What's that other thing that you're going to offer them as, in a sort of first class way and in, in a similar way to your product? And I think that's a big way. Coltramp, for example, community is a big one for us. So, uh, we, we do various, we have chapters, we have events, all these different things around community. And we think of that as a, a way to keep our customers highly engaged, especially in our business where, uh, especially with something like an engagement survey or that part of our business, they may not be in the product every single day. So we want to find ways to keep them learning, keep them engaged, keep them networking. We do that through things like community. So that's an example. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree with the idea around community, the, the, the uh, a sort of a place for people to be able to get together and share ideas and help each other. Um, th- that goes a very, very long way. Uh, and, and, may, and alongside, I'd also say our role in being able to facilitate sort of that sharing of best practices in the community or otherwise. I think we all know that we could be doing things better, differently. We all want to know a little bit uh, more about how our peers uh, are, are doing, what, what, what are the, the ways that they either implement processes or practices that have helped them? And I think being, uh, being sort of a, a vessel for that to come through with all your customers uh, and openly sharing best practices is not only a form of uh, engagement, but it has a multiplicative effect because you, you know that each one of these businesses can take these lessons forward and, and sort of mold them to what works best for them. That like peer networking component of that is huge too. Even things like you're doing right here and bringing us together, like we get to interact, right? Her and I, and like, like those things are huge. People want to those connections to share best practices, to learn from, huge. Thank you all. Uh, the last question we have from Ken Wong, what SaaS product categories will benefit the most from this accelerated shift to digital? Um, gosh, certainly, I mean, certainly things that are in kind of the collaboration, you know, uh, and, and, and sort of, um, uh, work, work collaboration type space, you know, to productivity tools, things of that nature. Um, geez, I, mean, I know personally of a couple of whiteboard, whiteboard online, digital whiteboard company type things that are doing quite well. Um, uh, you know, not to mention the Zooms and people like that of the world, of course. Um, but yeah, I think, look, I mean, things that help people communicate and collaborate, uh, are kind of the obvious, uh, you know, categories of stuff. I think to the to the thing Elena was asking us about earlier, the the movement to just more business transactions moving online, I think also is going to clearly benefit companies who play in that realm, whether it's e-commerce or people providing other backbone and tools to make online transactions easier and happen. So I don't know. Those are a couple of things. Archana, what else do you think? Now, I, I, my vote's also for communication and collaboration uh, companies. But I also think that this new way of working, we're going to have a lot more discoveries, just like we will find that things that we currently have um, off the shelf or otherwise, um, they fall short. And we're going to actually go back to all of uh, our, our vendors and, and our partners and say we want more or we want the ability to, to be more flexible and we want to evolve in different ways. And so I think that this is also a, a big era sort of for the, for the more platform oriented companies that allow for that level of flexibility and adaptability to also um, be able to, to uh, help their customers, quite frankly, uh, move faster. Elena, do you want to add your, your guess here or your opinion? Which of the categories will grow faster? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm coming off mute. You know, um, I, uh, it's interesting. I've seen companies. I've seen, I've seen all of it, uh, Pedro. Like uh, certain companies you wouldn't have expected come out and have just an amazing, um, what, what they call tailwind during, during this time. Um, but I, I, in general, I think anyone who, who is digitally minded first uh, is going to win. Like, I, I just think that's a table. That's just the new normal. Uh, and if you haven't pivoted to that, um, I think you're, you're going to be behind. Um, so that's my, my view. And it's not, it's not necessarily industry specific, but just more thematic uh, is what I would say. Thank you. Uh, thank you, J.D., 
Ashana, Elena, for joining us for their first live episode of the Sit Down Startup podcast. So uh, maybe you want to give a final word for their audience uh, before we wrap up? Thank you. Thank you for hosting. Thank you for, for facilitating this sort of sharing of ideas. Um, and and uh, I mean, honestly, uh, as, as always, best wishes for the audiences and to, to the extent that this, uh, this provides any value in terms of how they think about their businesses. It would, uh, I would be very grateful to have participated. Yeah, well, well said. Not much to add to that. But yeah, thank you, Zendesk. Uh, thank you, Elena and Pedro. Uh, great to spend time with you, Arshana. Again, it's been a while, so great, great to get to spend a little time chatting with you as well. And uh, yeah, thank you everybody who was able to tune in and, and, and as she said, stay, stay safe uh, in these times. And uh, yeah, much success ahead for your startups, hopefully. Thank you guys for, uh, I'll, I'll just say thank you both for uh, being on the, on the show. I feel kind of popular for like a, a New York minute. Um, but also if you guys are listening, I would say if I have any words of advice, it would be um, stay agile. You know, it, the world is changing and it's going to continue to change. Um, you never lose by focusing on your customer uh, and putting them first. Um, and leverage your network. You know, I've been leveraging my network big time during this, uh, in, in this you know, crazy year. Um, but I can't tell you how many times I've leveraged my network for, you know, what I didn't think I knew how to solve. Uh, and so I know all of you have a network, so definitely leverage your network. Awesome. Thank you, Elena. And thank you, everyone that joined us today. If you like our episode, don't forget to listen to the whole season. And you can listen on Spotify, Google, any platform of choice. And if you like it, don't forget to give us a rating that really helps as we build the show. And when I'm not recording this podcast, I'm part of the Zendesk for Startup team. Qualified startups can get six months free of our Zendesk solutions. So you can go on www.zendesk.com startup and apply to be part of our community. See you next time. Thank you.